Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. I've just been given the heads up from Phoebe that it's already nearly six, and we normally finish at six, so I better be orienting up. I <laughs> know it's harsh, isn't it? And say, this is what happens when Lucas doesn't preach. You know when he's not preaching within two minutes, uh, you can tell you, like, this is a big intro, isn't it? Lucas isn't preaching today, is he? He's doing a little mini preach at the start, isn't he? That is fair enough. That is fair enough. Right. Um, Yeah, as Lucas said, we're in the second week of our series on Moses. So last week, I believe it would have been Lucas. I was out. So Lucas would have talked about uh, the calling. So we would have talked about what happened when God called Moses and said, I want you to lead the people. And all of that back and forth that, that Moses had with God, saying, I can't do it, and all the reasons for that. Well, we're going to jump way further on in the story, where actually the people of Israel have been released from Egypt. It's cut quite a lot of the story out, hasn't it? That is cut. That's not my decision. I was given this. And so if you are slightly worried about just how much we've cut out, Lucas Dewhurst wrote this series, and he will take those questions afterwards. But we're in the situation where they've left Egypt, and it all seems like that's great. We're, we're free. We've left Egypt, and then they're going don't really know where, but God will guide them. And that is the problem, because uh, so many times in our life we need to know what it is to follow God really without a destination. You know, he doesn't ever give us how the next 60 years are going to pan out. You know, he just doesn't. I know that me and Lindsay Della are going to live to 100 and 104 respectively. She's going to get to 100. I'll be 104. Believe it or not, I'm older. I know. Surprising, that, isn't it? Um, She'll go. I'll have two weeks to sort the admin, and I'll join her. That's the plan. Uh, That is the plan. But God hasn't told me exactly how each bit is going to be working out um, in that plan. So I'm just going to have to trust him for, what is it, about 80 more years? Yeah, about 80 more years. That's about uh, right in the math. So... In terms, of our, um, yeah, in terms of our timeline, Israel have been in slavery. Moses has been called. There was resistance from Pharaoh, then the plagues, and now they've been given permission to leave. And this isn't just a small thing of like, let's go on a trip. Last semester at university, I took my uni students on a trip. There they are, the wonderful 30 or so from the accounting and finance group in the final year of Liverpool University, and um, we had to go to an accounting talk in London. Can you imagine the fun we had? Now, look at Luke's face. Luke's face is like, that's the worst thing in the world. Uh, it was a free hotel. It was a free hotel and free meal in London. No, yeah, fair enough still. So we had 30 students to get to London, but the, in the wisdom of the University of Liverpool, they didn't book us seats on the train, and so we pitched up to the train to London, and everybody was just scattered everywhere. And we're like, is everybody on the train? Like, I don't know. And someone was like, where's Bokan? Dunno. Where's Fahad? Dunno. So me and my boss, we were walking up and down the train, trying to clock who was on the train, where they were sat. And in the end, we just gave up. And we just thought, like, you know what? Let's just get to London, wait on the platform, and hope. And so that's what we did. Uh, Moses... He had 600,000 people to deal with. I imagine there was a lot of, well, I hope we all get there. And so uh, I'm not going to the back to check that they're all there. You know, it's not like Limitless where we could go, right, everybody, it's time to go to the meeting, let's go. That was the system. It's a perfect system. And then, um, and then we would stand up and between us, we'd have our list on the phone and say, right, 
Can anyone see Phoebe? Is Phoebe trying to skip the meeting again? And so, uh, and so, is that harsh? Harsh, Phoebe, isn't it? So, we, but we would, we would know where everybody was. But 600,000 men plus women and children, no chance. We're talking this giant migration of an entire country. People that would have moved slowly. There would have been a lot of grumbling on the way, as we'll see, and very difficult. And so they journeyed into the unknown, not knowing exactly where they were going, but God promising he would guide them. And that is it. And so we're going to start with Exodus 13. And so in Exodus 13, uh, it says, After leaving Sukkoth, they, kept, uh, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so that's what they get. And you might think, well, firstly, I think I'd trust God. If, firstly, if I'd have had all kinds of miracles that brought me out. And secondly, if there was a cloud of fire and a cloud of smoke, I think I'd probably be all right. You know, you think you'd be like, okay, well, we're, we're, we can probably trust this. And I think we sometimes think we'd be so much better than the, you know, like than, than the Israelites would be. And I just don't know if that's true. I just think we, none of us like that, but what's next question. You know, we'd be like, okay, I see this, but we don't seem to have made much progress. We don't really seem to have a destination. And we'd probably kind of start getting a little bit panicky. And so on this journey, they have God guiding them. They have God protecting them. We're going to see a few things that come up in this journey, both good uh, and bad. The first thing we're going to see is that fear uh, is a bad director. Fear leads us to bad directions always. If we always just go with wherever fear wants us to go, it'll lead to panic, it'll lead to terrible decisions, it'll lead to sin often, it'll just lead to messy things in our lives when we think, I am too afraid to do that, I'm going to do this decision instead. And, and some of us who've been in relationships will know the fear of meeting parents and stuff for the first time. You know, you'll know that feeling of, oh man, I've got to go for dinner at my, my in-law, potential in-law's house. I hope I don't belch at the table or worse, or, you know, I hope they don't cook me something disgusting, or I hope they don't ask me about gun laws and put guns in my hand on day one. Day one, that was one it, Lynn's. Day one, day one. Let's have a deep political discussion about my feelings about gun control. Welcome. And so, um, yeah, so we know that fear of, oh, man, what if it goes wrong? And so you have those horrible moments. But however nervous you are about meeting people, let me tell you, it's not going to go as bad as it does for this woman in this story here. She is early in a relationship, and she uh, is dating this guy. She goes to his bathroom and does what you need to do in the bathroom, right? And so, and she's blocked his toilet. And it's too early in the relationship to be blocking the, the man's toilet. So she's thinking, oh, man, he's just going to leave me. He's going to think I'm a dirty lady who does massive number twos. I've got problems, right? And so, so she comes up with a terrible system where she thinks, right, I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to get some paper. I'm going to open the window, and I'm just going to hoi it outside, which is, a, I mean, fear leads to bad decisions, right? And so, because he doesn't have a dog, imagine walking out and going, what is that in my garden? Just, what? But anyway, she doesn't get it to the garden because it's an old house. She opens a window, flings it. It hits a second window and then just drops down. And then she's like, well, that looks weirder. Now there's just a package in between the two pieces of glass. So she says, I'm going to get that. There we go. There she is. She's climbing out of the window and she's got stuck. 
the man has to call the fire brigade. And so <laughs> not only does it call the fire brigade, it gets on BBC News, uh, thanks, to, thanks to the classic headline, Stuck in the Middle with Poo. There we go. So no matter how bad your relationships get, you won't make those decisions. You know, you won't be there. So no matter how worried you are of your in-laws, it won't go there. Anyway, so fear leads to bad decisions. Yeah, we'll move on. And so at the start of Exodus... We see this, so even probably the bit before Lucas read, Exodus 1 starts with the king of Egypt saying, the Israelites, there's too many of them. And it says, they've been good, they're part of our nation, and they came there because of a famine, but what if there's too many, and what if they rebel against us and go to war? They could take us. And because of that fear, he says, right, we're going to enslave them. And then because they still have children, he says, that's not good enough. And he says, right, we're going to kill their children now when they're born. And so what starts with probably the king of Egypt going, how do I protect my people? Before long, that fear just leads him into a terrible dark place. It just probably starts from, our oh, man, how do I manage this situation? And he's nowhere near where he wants to be. You know, Moses' reaction to God when God says, call him. Moses like, I can't lead these people. You know, like the only time Moses has tried to lead the Israelites, they've said, aren't you that guy who killed that Egyptian? And he's like, oh, man. And so straight away, that fear of, will people listen to me? Can I even do this? If we let that drive us, we'll lead us to terrible places. And you think, well, okay, but I'm sure the Israelites didn't do that, right? Because they had fire and cloud, and you would never have do that. Well, Exodus 14 will take us there. So Exodus 14, uh, on the journey. So they've left Egypt, but now they're being chased by the Egyptians. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there's no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And you know, that fear just kind of thinks, what are we even doing? You know, it leads to terrible decisions. It leads us to self-centeredness. But it will absolutely keep us from where God wants to take us. It will just kind of make us go, we've probably not got it that bad. I know things are tough, and I know that maybe I'm not loving this, but actually change is scary. And they're probably they're going, well, we'd have been better off serving the Egyptians, right? Well, the Egyptians were there making them slaves and killing their children. Of course they weren't better there, but now they're thinking it's all going to go wrong, and it's all going to be terrible. And, you know, and I think it's so easy for these natural fears to kick in, particularly we know... Uh, the times that we talk about, if you read the news, uh, it's important to read the news, but it's important to read the news a little bit, right? Otherwise, you'll just, it's doom and gloom, and you'll be like, oh, man. And what happens is you think, right, my first responsibility is to look after myself and my people. But then Jesus says we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the fear of what's to come thinks, no, I've got to shut the doors, and I've got to just look after me first. But actually, that's the opposite of what God would have us do. And fear will come and try and rob that journey that God has. But what God won't replace that with is a guarantee. It just doesn't happen that way. Like in the early bits of Acts, Acts in the early bits of Exodus, sorry, you have these two midwives, Shipra and Puah, people who no, you'll never know. And they say, when the king says, you've got to kill all the people who are being born, they just don't do it. They just kind of go, no. And they just come up to the, the, the king and say, 
Oh, the thing with these Israelite women, right? They can pop a kid out quick. Like, that's, I mean, they might use slightly different language, but it's in there. It's in the Bible. You can check it. And they say, honestly, by the time we get there, the baby's done. It's impressive. Like, and they kind of go, it's happened. And they just kind of put themselves in the line, but they don't know what's going to happen to those children. You know, there's no guarantee. It's not God saying, well, if you do that, then they just say, we're going to do the right thing. And that's enough. You know, Moses' parents, they hide him and they put him in a river, not because there's a guarantee that he'll be safe. They have to trust him to God. And sometimes when the fear comes of, man, I want to do this with my life, but I just feel not good enough, or I feel that it's too much and I don't know how to do it, we have to kind of trust that God has it in control even when we don't have the answer. Because we're not going to get the answer, because that's not what faith is. And I think on that journey, there's always that moment of, do we trust him? You know, our university students, they leave us repeatedly now. It's very selfish of them. And so we took Caitlin out this week, and Caitlin has gone, and we trust them to God, going, do you know what? We trust that the relationship they have with God is so real that they will thrive. We can't go there and be there with them all the time. And we trust these people to God that the relationship they have is real, and that's scary, but we have to trust that God knows the outcome. If we look at Exodus 13, um, this is the kind of thing that they're, so they're scared at this point and saying, we should, we, you know, we're going to get chased and we're going to die. But what they don't know, this is the unseen stuff that God is doing for them. And it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road to the Philistine country, although that was shorter. Because God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knows what we can handle and what we can't handle even though we don't even know what's going on. And we might think, this is terrifying. Why are you not leading me here, God? It's too hard. God knows what we can handle, and he's probably protecting us more than we know. You know, and we have to know what it is to trust him. We, um, we love Psalm 23, right, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. He lies me in green pastures. He restores my soul. Quiet waters. That's what we want. But in the same psalm, it says, When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It's not saying when I wander away from you and I end up there. I, it's saying actually when God takes me through tough places, he is with me. You know, and we have to be brave enough to kind of go, man, this is hard and scary, but God is with me. Because the temptation is that there's easier ways out. The temptation is, oh, actually, I don't know if God's route actually is the best route. What if he's just hiding some good stuff? I mean, that's what happens in Adam and Eve, right? They get told, don't eat this one thing. And that question goes to Eve of, Kind of, well, what if it's actually better? You know, what if actually it is good? And that, that kind of gnawing question of do we trust God happens again and again of like maybe what we see, we see other people, you know, thriving in the world. There's other people with more money and more success. Maybe, maybe there's a better way. And I just, God is not a God that's hiding the best from us. There is a parent um, that used to help me do breakfast for Latchford in a, in a Sunday morning. We used to cook the kids breakfast. And I can't name that parent because she's heavily pregnant. It wouldn't be fair, would it, Andy? It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to her, so I can't do it. And so, um, but she, like, she was making pancakes for everybody, and it was great. And their child came in, her firstborn child, and again, I can't say his name, but her firstborn child came in and said, oh, mom, can I have one of these? And she said, no, it's spicy. Oh, spicy! Because she knew that worked. She knew that worked. So I was like, oh, if only you knew, Ezzy. If only you knew, I mean, unnamed first child. If only you knew, you know, like, what you were being kept from. But God is not keeping us from the good stuff. He's not kind of saying, well, 
it's better, but trust me, this is the way of holiness. And I think sometimes we think the way of holiness is just grim and tough. But actually, it's the way of walking with God. And he's not hiding the good stuff from us. So, we don't get a pillar of cloud and a pillar of smoke. So, we'll go through these pretty quickly now because uh, our time is running on and I see Phoebe. So, what do we get? We get the Bible. You know, we, of course, we don't get pillar of cloud and smoke, but we get the Bible. Like, the disciples... They didn't get a pillar of cloud and smoke. They get a three-year apprenticeship with Jesus, and then he goes, and we're going to see they get the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what they have to deal with. And in Psalms, it tells us that the Bible is a word for a lamp for our feet and a light for my path. But again, it'll be for the bit in front of us, you know, just for the bit that we need, the bit that is there. You know, it's not a, sometimes people say the Bible is like an instruction manual or a map, and it is. But the danger of that is we think that God has kind of left us, given us a map, and said, right, see if you can work it out. See if you can find your way to me. That's just not the way the Bible works. You know, Hebrews tells us it's living and it's active. And as we read it, God speaks to us. It's not just a, yes, we will learn about God. Yes, we will get good wisdom. Yes, we will hear things. But it's so much more than that. God speaks to us as we do it. And so we have that live in word. And there's so many ways that we can read the Bible these days. If you're not a good reader, there's audio Bibles, there's video stuff, there's comic Bibles, there's even anime Bibles, if you're one of them. You know, like, and so one of them's horribly judgmental, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, uh, I said that this morning in front of the Hong Kong congregation, and so uh, they were very gracious to me. But whatever you are into, there's ways to connect with the Bible. And the danger is what we go is, yeah, but, and a bit like Moses... Moses started last week, Moses started with, well, I can't because I can't speak, or nobody will listen to me. Who am I going to say sent me? And at the end, Moses just goes, God, just send somebody else. In the end, he's almost like, I just don't really want to. And sometimes with the Bible, we can say, I'm not a very good reader. Well, okay, I'm not very good in the morning. And we stack up the excuses, and what I have to do is look in the mirror and go, sometimes, God, I just don't want to. And, like, and it's hard, because sometimes I'm like, well, I've got other things to do, God. And it is, it is tough because I'm kind of then saying, I want to do my own sort of thing. I want to go my own way. And that takes us into a very lost place. So whatever it is that works for you, find a place, find a time, find a way of reading, but find something. Because that will matter more than good leaders. It will matter more than going to a good service on a Sunday. That will underpin things so much more than anything else. The second thing we get is we get the Holy Spirit, like the apostles did that we said so when Jesus leaves them, he says in Matthew 28, I'll be with you till the end of the age. And he says in John 14, that I will give you the spirit of truth. Uh, and you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. And we have the, the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit as our guide as we go through lives. You know, and so and it's the danger of the Holy Spirit is sometimes go, well, how do I know that's not me? And how do I know it's you know, just not my thoughts. And that's fair enough. Like, there are parts in the Bible where the apostles get it wrong. Sometimes Paul says we should do one thing and Peter says we should do another. And they disagree and do it differently. One of them's wrong. You know, sometimes Paul and Barnabas do it. And one of them's wrong. But only Jesus has a 100% record. But I think we're so obsessed with we don't want to do it because it might be us that we end up doing nothing. And that is what the enemy would have us do, is actually let's do nothing because that is the safest place. When I was at university, I was 19, and um, I was asked to be part of leading the Christian Union in my hall in the second year. But to do that, you had to live in halls the, the next year. 
So my, my housemates, my friends at the time had all kind of said, right, well, let's all get house together. And I'd said, well, I can't live with you because I'm going to be doing this Christian union stuff and living on campus. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. That, they weren't Christians, but they were like, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. And I was like, but I needed to run for this second year committee to get a room in halls. That's what you had to do. Every other role on the second year committee had one person running for it. So if I'd have stood for any role, it was a, you had to go through a big vote and a big election. I would have just been guaranteed. Even I would have won that vote against nobody. I was confident. And the one I went for, five people. All right, Lord. <laughs> and so, so I ran for it, and we went down this, and it was a whole week of votes, and I had a poster campaign. It was very annoying. And so we got there, and it was me and this guy, Emre, and it was it, at the end, and it was kind of this vote. And the president of the... The association kind of said, it's too close to call. We can't call it. And so I had to go home. So I had to just go home from uni. And he said, we need to get the whole president of the uni society to come and double count because it's too close for us to count. They said, you need to know, Dale, you're losing by one vote. That's currently where you're at. And my mates were like, oh, man, you're going to be homeless, mate. And I, was like, and I was like, and there's this weird time that I just was like, well, I'm not because I'm definitely going to get it. And it's just this weird kind of sense. I was like, well, I'm definitely going to get it. And my mate from Newcastle, he was less convinced. He was like, do you want me to just go beat up Emre? I said, like, I don't know if that'll help me, Beef. I don't know if that's what we're looking for. I don't know if I'll win a vote by sending the thugs on him, although it would have worked. He was a big lad. Uh, he was, I mean, he was called Beef. So, I mean, that is, uh, yeah, that was the problem. But then I got a call the next day, and the guy said, right, we've double counted it. We've counted again, and you've won by one vote. And, he, and, I, was like, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, of course I've won by because I kind of knew that that's what God wanted me to do. And I don't say that to kind of go, since 19, that has been my life. Like, I look back and think, man, so where is that 19-year-old guy who just trusted God? Where is the guy who just knew? He just knew what God had for him. Because somehow what we do is we let kind of noise and busyness and fear in. And it comes in piece by piece. And it takes us away from what we kind of know God's saying to us. And so trust in the Holy Spirit will always have a bit of a risk. It will. It will always have a time where we kind of think, I think this is what God wants me to do. But the more you are close to God and the more you are close to other people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the more likely you are to get it right. You know, the more likely you are to hear him correctly when people are, are kind of with you and doing that together. But, you know, we all know we've been in churches with people who do weird things and blame it on the Holy Spirit. A friend of mine said he was in a prayer meeting and he said that this guy said, oh, it's been a really significant night. I feel God's telling me to do this. And he cut his shirt up with scissors and he gave everyone out a piece of his shirt. And my mate was like, ain't, God ain't telling you to do that, mate. <laughs> Let me tell you, God ain't, we're not that close. Oh, I am not keeping your raggy shirt. Like, that's going straight in the bin, you weirdo. Put your chest away. And so, um, yeah, anyway, so it's not an excuse to, to do weird stuff. Right, next point before we move on. Yeah, don't try and um, listen from far away. And so, again, it's that proximity that comes. You know, that, that closeness to God, the more we have that, the better we'll be at being guided by him. You know, like the Israelites, they had fear. And in chapter 6, Moses says, like, we're going to rescue you. And they're like, and it says they would not listen because of their discouragement, discouragement and harsh labor. They just couldn't hear you know, and sometimes the pain that we have, the discouragement that we face, the doubt that we've gone through is so great that there's no way we can hear. And that's maybe where we need other people to help us to come back to God. Because when we're trying to listen through that, all that stuff, we're just never going to do it. I always think it's like, um, like 
you know, some of your kids will have gone back to school this week, and I'm sure conversations will have gone a little bit like this, like, Mom, where's my shoes? I can't find someone to move my shoes. And you've gone, I'm not sure these kids were worth it. I know we're supposed to, I mean, sometimes. We could have got a dog. I mean, that would have been worse. That would have been infinitely worse. That's fair enough, maybe. So I understand that there's that shouting down, well, if you looked in your wardrobe, and you're having this conversation at the other end of the house, and it's just, you know, we know that story. And I... My mum used to do this thing. I obviously used to do that to her. Of course I did. And I reckon when I got older, she just turned the tables deliberately. And I remember being at home once, and she said, and she shouted from downstairs. She's like, what are you doing today? And I started going, well, I'm going to go out at 12. And she went, I can't hear you. And I was like, well, you started this conversation, mum. If you want a conversation, you flipping come to me. Like, don't shout a question. And when I shout, my response go. Can't hear you from up there, can I? Oh, trudge, trudge my way down. I said, right, Margaret Della, uh, let's have a conversation. And so I think sometimes when we're lost, we kind of go, right, God, where are you? Well, you know, where are you? And we kind of want him to shout back. And what he wants is us to come near. You know, and we say, like, come to us. Well, the fact is that Jesus did come to us. You know, he did come to this earth so that we could come near to him at any time. We don't have to go through priests. We don't have to go through this weird religious system we could just draw near to him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. But yet we want to just kind of say, God, will you just tell me where to go? So I don't really, I just want you with me. I just want you to follow me rather than get instructions from me. And so we live a life on the journey. This is our final one. Um, because I think we just think it'll be all right when we get there, right? Like, and the people of Israel, they were given the promised land Sounds nice, the promised land, doesn't it? That is a good like, promised land. When we get to the promised land, it'll all be all right. Now, Luke, big moment. Luke. <laughs> so, does it end all right in the promised land? Don't know. You do know. Because then we go into a time of the judges. And what happens? They go in the promised land for a bit. It's all good. They have jo this guy called Joshua, and then he dies. And we have a time of the judges. And they go in a cycle, don't they, Luke? Which is? Yeah. And that's it. And it just carries on all the time. Absolutely. It's right, Luke. Put you on the spot there. Luke will never come back to this church. So it's all worth it now. You've got a round of applause, isn't it, Luke? So yeah, in our life group, we've been kind of going through that. This thing of, oh, yeah, we'll be all right in the promised land. It's not true. They still needed God's guidance. It wasn't like the promised land and that is the end of the story. Well, the end of our story is when we get to heaven. That's the end. Everything before that is the journey, everything, you know, like, and I think sometimes we kind of see parts of our life is, well, I just need to get to that next step, and if I pay off my debts, and if I find a relationship, then it will all be okay, you know, like, and we see it as like a plane journey, like, when I started dating Lindsay Della, I had to fly to her, because she lived in flipping America, it's quite far America, just like, you know, just a spoiler alert there, and so, the first time I went for it, I had all the fear of a first date, and I was just I just need to get this journey over, and it will all be wonderful. Our lives will begin. And it just, it's a nice, simple journey. What can go wrong? Well, the woman next to me poured a whole cup of coffee in my lap. That's, that wasn't great. And at least I thought, well, I'm going to get an upgrade to first class. That'll be nice, won't it? Well, let me tell you, if your seat is completely wet on a plane, and you think, well, I can't sit on that, they can, they can replace that seat. They can just yank that out like in Formula One and they can put another seat back in and go, sit back down there. Economy class, you. And yes, you are wet. Enjoy. And so I was like, great. Well, I'm smell and I've got stains all over me. So that's a good start. 
And then I got there, and all my, my, like everyone's bag had been picked up except mine. And I just stood there with this lonely conveyor belt just going, well, this has gone poorly, hasn't it? And I thought, and I couldn't text her. You're not allowed to use your phone in baggage claim in America. They shoot you. And so uh, there's a lot of signs saying, don't you dare flipping do it. Don't you dare do it. And then there's a lot of people with guns saying, yeah, you just try it. We're a little bit bored. And so, uh, so she didn't know. And so I had to walk around. And I was looking for my bag. And I said, like, oh, there's my bag. Someone's taking it off miles away. Turns out the zipper's broke on my bag, and there's just a trail of my underwear just all over the airport. And so on my first day, I'm picking up my pants, just go, well, oh, Lindsay, you're worth it. And so, um, and so we got there, and I had a great speech. Didn't matter. She just jumped me. She just kissed me straight away. She, couldn't, oh, she could not restrain herself. And that's fair enough, Lindsay. I've got a wonderful face. And, um, um, but we sometimes think... If we just get there, it's all all right. But the story of my relationship with Lindsay doesn't end there. You know, like, it's going to go on for years and years as we know what it is to kind of be the best husband and wife that we can be, but also teach these young people about what it means to follow Jesus in the good times and in the tough times. And it's not over because finding a great wife was not the destination. The destination is heaven. And as we all know, I'm not going there to 104. So there's a lot of life uh, still to go. And so we know that as we land this, we, uh, we are obviously kind of thinking of the Queen this year and we're uh, this week and we're thinking of all that she's done and spoke about. And, you know, in 2016, one of the quotes was not on the video. In 2016, she said in her Christmas speech that billions of people now follow the teachings of Jesus and find in him the guiding light for their lives. And she said, I am one of those people. You know, and so we don't look to the rich and the famous and go, right, man, if I could just be like them. But we need to know what it is to say, right, God, will you guide me for all these days? Because there's going to be a lot of fear that comes my way. There's going to be a lot of noise that gets in the way. I don't want to shout up the stairs and hope you're there. I want to be close, that your word would speak to me, that I would know your Holy Spirit and that we would stay close to you. Because we think if we just get there, it'll be okay. Well, we will be okay and we will get there. But there's many years to come, you know, and we don't want to give up on that journey between now and then. We want to know what it is to keep chasing after God and keep following him and keep knowing him because we're on a long journey home. You know, when this world was made, we were made to be in relationship with God, you know, and that was broken many years ago. And we live in this kind of broken world, just making our way back to him. But on that journey, we know what it is to have him with us and have him in us and living through us. And so I'm just going to pray. And uh, yeah, we'll close there. So God, I just thank you that you said you would not leave us alone. And we thank you for all the ways that you guide us. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came so that we could draw near to you. That we don't have to go through religious people and hierarchies to get to you. But we can be as close to you as we choose to be sometimes. And so God, we just ask that you would forgive us for the times that we do our own thing and just shout out frustrated of where we're going. And God, we just ask for all of us who are feeling that little bit lost, would you just do what only you can do? That our, When our physical circumstances might be the same as we leave here, but God, will you just change something within us? Will you just heal things in our hearts? Would you restore us and fill us with your spirit and your presence that we would know what it is to have different hearts and know what it is to know you deeper and deeper as we travel through the rest of our days? Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.